Well, this morning is our last Sunday in our series in the book of Galatians. And this week we're going to be looking at how Paul shows us how the message of the gospel is to shape our relationships, is to shape our community together. So in our culture, we are very preoccupied with relationships. We're obsessed, you might say, with relationships. Relationships is what we're made for in God's image, who himself lives in community. We are made to live in community with one another. But the reality of life as a result of sin is that relationships often do not work like they're supposed to. But in our culture, we are obsessed with them. We want to know who's dating who. It's what all the magazines are talking about. We love to watch on TV relationships, dynamics playing out. Let me ask you this. What do these things have in common? Survivor, big brother, celebrity apprentice, the biggest loser. What do all these things have in common? Reality TV shows, right? In fact, I could go on and on. Almost all of TV now is reality TV shows. Right, And I know nobody in here would watch any of that stuff. I recognize that. I have, of course, confessed to you that I am a fan of Celebrity Apprentice, much to the dismay of my wife. I, I get so drawn into this thing. It's this wonderful show where you get all of these celebrities with enormous egos, right? And they compete for like six months. They compete to be... Donald Trump's Apprentice. It's a wonderful show, and they, they show all of, all of their bickering and competing and one-upping one another and trying to impress Mr. Trump and, and trying to put the others down. And it's this really fascinating picture of humanity. It's a fascinating picture of relationships and what's wrong with them in all of the ways that we stick it to one another and we compete with one another and we fight and bicker. And there's a re- that's really a characterization of all of the reality shows. If you've seen one, you've seen them all, right? And I think the reason that they're so important, because somebody must watch them if it's all that's on. Of course, none of us, but some do. The reason that they're so fascinating is that they give us a picture of what we experience in our life. It's, an, it's such an accurate picture, right? It's called reality. It's an accurate picture of what relationships are like in all of their brokenness, in all of their division and twistedness. And it's a picture, maybe not as dramatic, but it's a picture nonetheless of what we experience in our workplaces so often, right? The competing with one another, the striving to get ahead, one-upping, competing and comparing yourself to your co-workers, trying to impress the boss, trying to push off of everybody else, the bickering, the politics. Isn't this so often the reality in our workplaces? Or even so often, even in our homes, that it's a place of division and competing. And I mean, all I do while my children are awake is referee fights. That's all I do, right? It's natural to us. It doesn't have to be taught. And so this is what characterizes so often our relationships. But what we're going to see in our passages this morning is that the gospel creates 
a whole new community. The gospel creates a community not where we compete, not where we are angling to get ahead and one-up, but it rather creates a community where we are turned towards one another. A community where we serve one another in love, as Paul puts it in chapter 5. And as he puts it in our passage this morning, a community that bears one another's burdens. That is what the gospel creates. And that's what we'll see in our passage. So we'll notice three kind of things here. One, what does this community look like? What, what is it to be defined as? How does it look? Secondly, what are the barriers to this kind of community? What are, what are the obstacles that we face as we, as God's people, try to be the kind of community He's called us to? What are the barriers? And thirdly, how does it happen? How do we get there? How do we actually become being a people by nature driven to our own agendas, how do we become a people that bears one another's burdens? That's what we'll see in our passage. Now, we've talked about in Paul's epistles how the structure in all of his epistles is essentially the same. Paul takes the first portion of the book and he is expounding on the wonders of the gospel, talking about all the realities and implications of the power of the cross, the message of the gospel and all that it has done for us. And he's fleshing it out and portraying it in dramatic fashion. And then at the end of the books, he always makes a turn where he turns to real, practical, everyday living. And he says, now in light of what Christ has done for you, this is how you're now to live. This is how the gospel drives and affects and has implications for every area of your life. In the passage that we're looking at this morning, Paul is particularly showing how the gospel shapes our relationships and our community together as his people. And in chapter 6, verse 2, he kind of sums it up in a nutshell of what this community is to look like. Paul says, Carry each other's burdens... And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So if you boil it all down, what kind of community are we to be? Paul says this, a community that bears one another's burdens. And he says an interesting thing there. He says, this is a fulfillment of the law of Christ. Now that's an interesting way to put things, right? Paul's using a little play on words here in a book where throughout the book he has been showing how the law is something that cannot justify you. It's something that is beautiful as it displays God's character and His purposes, but it's powerless to change us. That's the big rub in in the Galatian churches. They've been told the way that you grow is by keeping the law. And Paul has throughout been saying, you cannot grow that way. You must be grown internally by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's been talking about the law a lot, but here he says to carry one another's burdens is a fulfillment of the law of Christ. That's an interesting way to put it. The law of Christ is not simply a standard or a rule. Rather, it's a person. It's an example. It's a picture of what we're to be, right? Because what we have portrayed for us in Christ is a love so strong and so powerful that it has gone all the way to the cross 
to make us His own. And so the law of Christ is simply this, to love one another as He has loved us. That's the law of Christ. And Paul here puts flesh on that. He shows you what it looks like. What does it look like to love one another as Christ loves us? Paul says, this is what it looks like, to bear one another's burdens. We have that vividly portrayed in the work of Christ, who has borne our burdens in the most dramatic way on the cross. So what does it mean to bear one another's burdens? What's he talking about here? Well, a burden is simply something that's too heavy for you to carry. It's the struggles and the troubles that we face in our life that we need help with. You know, the image here of carrying one another's burdens is kind of like helping somebody move. You ever helped anybody move? You know, I I have a pickup truck, which is a blessing and a curse. Because anytime anybody I know has got to move, I get a phone call, right? I need to come help carry their burdens. But if you've ever helped anybody move, if you just think about that image, literally you are carrying their stuff. You know, you're carrying couches and dressers and more junk than you've ever seen in your life until you try to move yourself, right? And so to carry one another's burdens is to literally lift and share the load and carry things that belongs to somebody that they cannot carry on their own. It's something that's too heavy, something they need help with. So if you're to think about this image of carrying one another's burdens, our burdens can be literally anything. The troubles in our life, the things that are overwhelming for us to handle on our own. It can be the loss of a job, the, the despair, the, the aimlessness that that can bring into our life. That's a burden. It can be having a baby. I can think of few burdens greater than that. It's, it's something that you cannot do on your own. It can be a sickness that comes into our life, something that's, that's too hard to walk through on our own. It can be an addiction. It can be a struggle. It can be a season of darkness in your soul, depression. Our burdens are as many as there are people here this morning. And what Paul says is, the community we're called to be is a community that carries them together, one another's burdens. And so if we're going to carry each other's burdens, there's a few things that that implies, right? First, a closeness. You know, whenever you go into somebody's house and you're helping them to move, you are literally walking into their space. You're walking into their private world. You're, you're carrying things that belong to them. You're side by side. You're, you're, you've each got one end of something together. You're doing it together. To carry one another's burdens means we have to share it. We have to be close. We have to let one another in. That can be a hard thing to do, right? We, because of pride, we want to carry our own burdens. We, we don't want to burden one another, we say. But that's exactly what Paul has called us to do to one another. So you've got to have a certain degree of humility to let one another into your world, to share your burdens with one another, to allow them to take some weight And it's costly. If you want to bear each other's burdens, that means you have to trouble yourself with the troubles of others. That's what it means. You've got to expend energy. You've got to come and exert effort and come up underneath 
the weight that belongs to another. It implies a number of different things here. It also implies you've got to allow people into the deep, secret places of your life. You've got to let them know that you struggle because people don't know unless you let them in. Paul gives us in the first verse here a picture, an example of carrying burdens. And it's not an example, I don't think, that we would normally naturally think of as we're thinking about this. Look at what he says in verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Now that's an example of carrying each other's burdens. Not at all one that we would think of. What's Paul talking about here? He's talking about whenever you notice someone, you notice a brother or a sister, one to whom you're in community with, you notice them struggling with some particular sin, and you come into their life, you bring it up, and you help them to deal with it. Now that's scary, isn't it? That's a kind of bearing burdens that we wouldn't normally think of. Now, a few disclaimers here that are important to understand. Paul is not saying to go around pointing out everybody's sin. Love, we are told, throughout the New Testament, covers over a multitude of sins. Love is usually overlooking. It's forgiving. It's forgetting. It's passing over. It's letting it go. But what he is specifically talking about here is someone who is caught in sin. That implies that it's taking them over, that it's, again, it's a burden. It's too heavy for them to hold. It's too difficult for them by themselves to get out from underneath. And it's become, it's become a pattern in their life that they might not see. And Paul says we are to enter in and to help one another in those areas. The ways that he describes our help is he says that we should restore one another gently. Now, the Greek word that's translated restore here is a word that's used wisely for resetting a dislocated limb. If you think about it, if you've ever had something dislocated, you cannot fix that on your own. You have to have somebody else enter in and fix it for you. And whenever they do, it's painful. But it's a healing kind of pain. It's a necessary pain. It's a pain that is done in love. But he says the way that we're to do this is gently. In the very next sentence, he says, humbly. What he's calling us to is a community where we're so engaged in one another's life, where we so care about the other, that if we see something in their life that that they might not see, a pattern of sin, something that is controlling them, we come in and we speak the truth in love. Paul says in Ephesians 4, That's how we grow, through speaking the truth in love. Now, this is not something that we naturally do well at all, is it? What's typical for us is one of two things. Now, it's not hard to notice other people's sin, right? It isn't hard to notice your own. It's incredibly hard to notice your own. But it is so very easy to notice other people's sin. And that's why you need help, because they can see things often you can't see. So, we all notice things in one another's life. But our two most common reactions here are, one, we see something and we say, it's none of my business. I'm just going to avoid it. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to act like nothing's going on. 
The other tendency is just to tell other people about it, right? To gossip, to say, bless their heart. We need to pray for such and such. They're just doing all this stuff. I can't believe it. That's not carrying somebody's burdens. That's destroying your brother or sister, right? Paul says, one of the most specific examples of how we carry one another's burdens is being so involved in one another's life, so caring about one another that we speak up, that we do it gently and humbly with a winsome spirit that says, listen, I'm no different from you. I could so easily be right where you are. Perhaps I have been there before. But let's, let's face this together. Let's walk through this. What Paul is calling us to is the kind of community that's so engaged with one another, that is so intentional in one another's life, that's so committed to one another's growth and flourishing, that we're real with each other, that we're transparent, that we're honest, that we share those burdens that we have in our life and we allow people to come in and shoulder them. That whenever we notice things in one another's life, whether it be a struggle or whether it be just something that is really hard in their life, we enter in. We know one another. We help them. We serve them. Paul says, this is what we're called to. This is the law of Christ. To love one another in this way, in a costly kind of way, in a risky kind of way, in a way that's willing to put our own safety aside for the sake of one another. Now that's quite a call, isn't it? There's a lot of barriers to this. And Paul really pinpoints the core barrier to becoming this kind of community throughout this passage. A number of times he refers to different kinds of pride that works itself out in our lives in all kinds of different ways. Look at what he says in verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now, conceit is a form of pride, but it's a particular form of pride that's kind of a self-preoccupation. The, the Greek word there has been translated honor hunger. You know, it's this desire to be exalted. It's this desire for approval. It's a desire to advance. It's like a glory vacuum in your soul. Right? It's literally looking at everything through the lens of me. I am the center of my world. And that is so fundamental to pride. It's, it's at the core of our sinful nature. Not one of us is absent from conceit. In fact, C.S. Lewis says in his chapter on pride that if you think that you are not conceited, you are quite conceited indeed. The nature of conceit is to put yourself at the center of your world. And Paul says whenever you do that, two things kind of happen in your life. In all of your relationships, you go around provoking and envying one another. Now, those are kind of two sides of the same coin. Now, provoking is kind of picking at people, right? It's kind of tearing them down in your mind and in your heart. You know, we provoke people that we think we're above, You know, we always find ourselves in social settings, in work settings, in family settings or whatever, and there's certain people in there that we view above us, and there's certain people that we view below us. And so those below us, we pick at them. You know, we, we tear them down in our mind and our heart. But those that we perceive to be above us, we envy them. That is, we're jealous for their approval, 
for their notice. We long for their, for their pleasure and for their attention. And so in almost every setting we find ourselves in, we are provoking an envy. We're wanting the approval of some people. We're annoyed by others. We're, we're trying to get ahead and push off of these people. We're trying to impress these people. You see, it all comes from the same root. That is a heart of conceit that's wanting to advance me, that's wanting glory for myself. It's rooted in pride, and it destroys community. All that you see going on on the reality TV shows, it's conceit working itself out, provoking and envying. And Celebrity Apprentice, they're stepping on each other. They're pushing each other. They're provoking each other. But whenever they get in front of Mr. Trump, oh, man, they're longing for his approval. In fact, in front of him, they're beating each other up. They're criticizing each other because they so envy his approval. That is a picture of all of our social interactions. Everywhere we are, everywhere that we go, when conceit is in our heart, we're provoking and we're envying. Paul says it destroys genuine gospel community. There's a few other ways that pride works itself out. Do you notice one of the things that he says right after he calls us to be in relationship that whenever we notice someone struggling with a sin, we go to them and we restore them? The very next sentence he says, but watch yourselves. Watch yourselves closely because you can be deceived. You can think you're something because whenever you're at this place of noticing something in someone else and going to them to help them with it, it's so very easy to be in a position of superiority. It's so easy to be in a position of examining someone and coming to them as if you're not capable of the same thing. Paul says whenever you're doing this, it's so very important that we do it, that we speak the truth in love. But it's dangerous business because of pride. Because whenever you notice something in someone else, you're going to begin to feel like you're better than they are. You're going to begin to feel like, well, I don't do that. I don't struggle with that. I would never do that. Paul says, be careful. Because that will prevent true community where you're restoring one another. Your confrontation, if your heart is prideful, it will destroy one another. And then finally he gets into comparing one another in verses 4 and 5. In verse 4 he says, Do not compare yourself to one another. In verse 5 he says, For each one should carry his own load. You know, one of the natural things about pride is that it leads to comparison and competition. In C.S. Lewis's chapter on pride and mere Christianity, it is a fantastic chapter. I encourage you to go check it out. But in there, he, he makes this observation about pride. And he said, pride is essentially, by nature, competitive. In other words, pride does not take pride in having something. It's not the having that brings the pride. It's the having more than another. It's the pleasure of being above all the rest. And Paul says that's why pride is at the root of all other sins. That's what he's pointing out there. Pride at its very nature is competitive. It leads us to compare ourselves to one another. And whenever we do that, we always find ourselves going in one of two ways. Either feeling very proud and high about ourselves, 
or despairing. It's all dependent on who you're comparing yourself to. But Paul shows us here in verse 5, comparison never works right because you never compare in the right things. It's never an accurate comparison. You notice in verse 5 he says, each one should carry his own load. Now, load here is different from burden. He's talking about something different. The Greek word, it's a different Greek word. It means like a backpack. What he's referring to is what God has given you responsibility to steward in your life. So your load is the collection of your circumstances, your weaknesses, the things, the experiences you've had in life, the gifts that you have, all that God has entrusted you to carry, to steward. The, the thing that one day you're going to stand before Him and give accountability for. It's your load. It's what He's entrusted to you. The point that Paul's making here is we all have our own load. And whenever you're making comparisons among one another, you're never making the right comparisons because you have a different load. Whenever you compare yourself to, to someone else, you don't know what they've been through. You don't know what their circumstances are. Your vantage point upon their life is so very limited. You're, you're comparing apples and oranges. You don't know what their, their inward struggles are. You don't know the kind of upbringing they've had. You don't know the kind of gifts that they might have or you might have. It's totally different. Paul says you're only responsible for your load. And he says in verse 4, you want to compare yourself to somebody? Compare yourself to you. That's an accurate comparison. How am I compared to a year ago? How am I compared to five years ago? Now, Paul says, well, that's an accurate comparison. But to compare one another, it's not the same thing. For each one has his own load to bury, to bear, not to bury. So, the barriers to the community that we're called to are enormous. And it's within us. It's in the sinful nature. But how, how does this community happen? How does this burden-bearing kind of life together actually happen? Well, it's only this way. And this is Paul's entire argument in the book of Galatians. It's through believing and applying the gospel daily in your life. That's the only way. To have this kind of community where we're vulnerable and connected and committed to one another and real with each other, it requires two almost mutually exclusive characteristics. It takes a deep, deep, deep humility, but it takes a boldness in relationship. Those two almost never coincide, right? Some of us, we find ourselves being able to be humble but we cannot bring ourselves to be truthful and honest and actually bring things up. Others of us, we don't have much trouble pointing things out and bringing things out. We're just blunt. But being humble and gentle, well, that's hard. But you see, the gospel brings a gentle, humble boldness that is found nowhere else. Because the message of the gospel is this. You are a sinner saved only by the free grace of Christ. Your sin is so great, so total, so all-encompassing, beyond what you can imagine. It's so great 
that the Son of God had to hang on a cross to pardon it. It's the only way. The only way that you could be welcomed before a holy God is if the perfect Son of God laid down His life on a shameful cross. You see, that humbles us. It tells us this in all of our relationships. I am no better than anyone. Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. And as we believe and appropriate the gospel, that ought to be becoming more and more real for you. Paul says, whenever you think you're something, when you're nothing, you're being deceived. The gospel tells us you are nothing in and of yourself. A proud Christian ought to be an oxymoron. It ought to be an impossibility because the gospel tells us we are completely dependent upon His grace. But that's not all it tells us. It tells us that we are sinners who have been saved so entirely by the grace of Jesus Christ that we now stand fully acceptable before the sight of a holy God. It tells us that we are delighted in and accepted and have the approval of the only eyes that matter in the entire universe. See, that gives you a boldness. See, whenever you know that you have the approval of the God of heaven, it frees you from being controlled by the approval of others. It frees you. You, don't, you, don't, you can speak up. You can be bold. You don't have to be afraid of losing position or losing approval. The gospel gives us a humble boldness where we can be real with each other, we can be transparent, we can speak up, but we do so with absolute tenderness and humility, realizing I am no better than you. I need grace more than you do. It creates a winsome kind of community together. And it frees us to do this. It frees us to say, I am concerned not just with my well-being. I am concerned with you and with your growth. And so I'm going to move towards you in a kind of way that seeks your growth and your good. This is the kind of community that Paul is calling us to. This is what we are after here in the church. The church is not just a building. It's not just a place that you go to once a week to get fed, to to get some help in your personal walk with Jesus. That's not what the church is. The church is a body. It's a family. It's a people who have been purchased by the blood of Christ and have been united to one another. And as we live in this union with one another, it glorifies Him in the world. That's what we're after in our community groups. Community groups, all we're after is a small setting of people who can know one another, be transparent with one another, share their burdens their struggles, to enter in, to speak the truth, the words of the gospel into each other's lives. That's what we're after in community groups. That's what we're after on Wednesday night suppers. To be together, to be real, to serve one another, to care for one another. That's what we're after in our marriages, that husband and wife would live to bear one another's burdens, to consider the interest of others better than their own. It's what we're after in our families. It's what we're after as you open your home to host someone, to show hospitality, as we share meals together, as we meet together face to face. 
in all that we do, what we are after is becoming this kind of burden-bearing community. Paul says it's what it's all about. Becoming that kind of community, though, doesn't just happen. It's costly. It's so very costly. It requires a great deal of sacrifice. It means you've got to sacrifice your time, your energy. It means that there is a host of things in your life that are good, that you might want to do, that you might have to say no to for something that's better, to live in burden-bearing community with one another. So the good thing is, the church is not like a reality TV show, right? It's not Celebrity Apprentice. We're not all trying to impress and get ahead for the approval of one another and for God. In fact, it's just the opposite. We're to be a community that is so oriented towards one another that our love and our caring of one another's burdens becomes a bright, shining light in a world that's filled with competition, with bickering, with one-upsmanship. This is how we bear witness to His coming kingdom, as we be this kind of community. And the only thing that frees us from ourselves and empowers us and drives us to be this kind of community, to lose your life for one another, is the gospel alone. Unless the gospel is real and at work in your heart as you're embracing it, preaching it to yourself daily, we will not become this kind of people. Instead, we'll be trying to steal glory from one another. But if the gospel is at work, penetrating your heart, it will free us to carry one another's burdens. Let's pray together.